What's good, NBA fans? Welcome back to another Gifted Hoops podcast. That's right. We have another podcast coming out a little earlier than normal, but I really want to get this out. Uh, First off, I hope everyone is doing okay. I hope if you're listening to the audio versions of this, you're feeling good, enjoying NBA basketball. If you're watching the video version, I appreciate you for sure. Uh, Make sure to keep up with the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and also on my YouTube, all places Gifted Hoops. Uh, Tap in. If you're on the Spotify and Apple Podcasts version, leave a review. Let me know some topics you would like to hear me cover for the NBA sake. And also make sure to like, comment, subscribe on YouTube as well. Let's get this podcast growing and circulating in the offseason. There's going to be a lot of interesting conversations we get into. Um, Today's podcast, however, we have a lot to get into. Uh, The time of me recording this is hours before the Lakers play the Nuggets at home. They're down 0-2. Me and esteemed content creator Swipe Cam, who, if you don't know, he's a diehard Denver Nuggets fan. We broke down uh, game two and also spoke about game three, which is tonight. And we're essentially going to be breaking that down fully. So I'm going to play that on the podcast. But before we get into that, I do want to talk about some of the other things going on in the NBA. Number one, we have to get to the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat playoff series. Coming into it, as you guys may know, Boston has been a team for the entire season that people have looked at to go to the finals and win the championship because of their two wing players having just made the finals last year in Tatum and Brown and also them being able to sign Malcolm Brogdon and have him as a backup guard with Derek White's improvements, how he was all defense for the majority of the regular season, smart being who he is, like Boston overall just having the most talented one through eight roster in the NBA. A lot of people figured that this team would be in a great position. But outside of the first starts of the season, where in the first two to three months, everyone on the roster, I'm not kidding, was literally shooting 50, 40, 90. The Celtics are now down 2-0 to the Miami Heat, a team who has been the complete polar opposite of how Boston was looked at in the regular season. This Miami Heat team, after going seven games with Boston last year in the conference finals and losing, came back this year, had a very flip-flop record they went from the number one seed in the conference all the way down to the seventh seed by the time the regular season had ended now granted there were a whole lot of injuries but a lot of their team just did not function the same way that they did last year uh the roster as a whole guys were not knocking down the same shots at a high clip as last year Uh, Duncan Robinson remained to be unplayable you know for them and now we're in a position where, because of the play-in, they had to play for their playoff lives in two playing games. They lose to Atlanta. And I kept saying from Jump Street, losing to Atlanta in the way that they did, getting dominated on the glass and Atlanta just getting whatever they wanted, it really looked like the Heat was finished. Like they weren't going to make the playoffs. They had another playing game to play. They played Chicago and they were able to beat them. They survived, they weathered that storm, the Heat made the playoffs as an eighth seed. And then, funny enough, they play the Bucs 
another team that people looked at to be the number one team in the conference with the best player in, in the league in Giannis, as a lot of people thought at the time, with a roster that had multiple all-defense caliber players, a team that had won 18 games straight at one point, had the best record in all of basketball, um, had a finals reputation as a team that actually won the title in 2021, a Chris Middleton coming back from injury. That team looked like it was going to be in a head-on collision with the Boston Celtics for who would go to the finals out of the East. And in game one, the Heat win that game. They they absolutely handle business. They steal game one. Giannis goes down. And then the very next game, the Bucks remind everyone of how good they are. And they blow the Heat out by a lot. They drop 81 points in the first half. It looks dominating. And then a lot of people flip and say, well, even if Giannis isn't playing, this Bucks team can absolutely dominate the Miami Heat. That was the conversation. And then in games three and four, Jimmy Butler puts his effort on the game tremendously. Like steps up, uh, playoff rising, all of that. All the disrespect that Jimmy Butler gets Eliza player. He put all that to rest. Another playoff run in this series where he just dominant the 56 points talking trash from behind making great perimeter shots being a a savvy iq guy playing excellent defense having great chemistry and continuity with bam and really carrying that heat team through in those two games and then in game five the game after Giannis comes back a critical game which a lot of people thought after Giannis came back he came back, he had a 27-point triple-double. A lot of people believed that they would be fine, that they would be able to come back in this series. It wouldn't be like all these other series because they had Giannis and they're going back home and there's no way that the Bucks would lose at home and they would at least push it six. A lot of people felt that way. And what did the Heat do? Against all odds, a game that they were not supposed to win, a game that was a checkbox loss for the Miami Heat. They come in and they play hard through three quarters they play extremely hard the bucks are trying to outfire them at every position they have a big big lead it looks as if game five is lost and then in the fourth quarter the bucks just unravel they vomit all over themselves drew holiday could not guard jimmy butler to save his life and jimmy butler while behind in the game by the way was absolutely talking trash to drew holiday and emasculating him and i personally in my times of watching basketball have never seen a player as good as Drew Holiday as an all-around player, especially on the defensive end, just get you know hunted and and talked at and trash talked by another player. Like I would understand if it was some other player that, that wasn't the caliber of Drew, who was an all-star this year. And Jimmy didn't care. Like he he absolutely put his will on the game and exerted it through Drew Holiday. And that team, as the fourth quarter progressed, turned the ball over didn't get, get good shots up the half court offense looked terrible chris middleton and drew holiday were missing a lot of shots and then on the other end the heat just kept weathering the storm over and over and over and then it comes down to an inbound play that really determined the game basically because brooke lopez was subbed out jimmy butler pushed off i'm not gonna lie so did jordan right he pushes off and he's able to catch the ball and in one motion 
with limited time on the clock, go up and force that game to go to overtime. And all throughout overtime, I'm seeing foul calls so much on the Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks shot so many free throws in this game. Giannis shot 10 of 23 from the free throw line. And down the stretch, they didn't want to score. They just wanted to keep their lead and not have to compete or play in the game anymore. They were terrified of the Heat coming back and beating them at home. And they continued to choke. Jimmy Butler kept making big play after big play. And then the other role players stepped up. Giannis, terrified of the ball, turned it over, did not want to get fouled to have to shoot the free throws. And then he made a critical error in fouling a free throw shooter. And the Miami Heat took that game. Jimmy Butler back-to-back 40-point games in the series to close out the Bucs, who was the number one team in the East. And the reason why I'm talking about all this before we get to the Celtics Heat series is I'm giving you the context. Because now that we know the context, let's talk about the Celtics. A team that, again, as we know, was looked at to be on the same caliber as Milwaukee. They come into the playoffs playing sloppy. They go six games against a Atlanta Hawks team who has been kind of underwhelming, kind of average for the entire season, had great spots of potential, played good basketball in certain spots, but could never really take off and be a really great team. They go six games with DeJounte Murray being suspended, and they still go six games. And then in the next series against the Sixers, they go seven games. They they lose critical games. Jalen Brown helps off of the corner. They push it to six games. Um, closeout game at home. Philadelphia does not get it done. They don't get it done. They they crumble. They can't score in the last five minutes. Jason Tatum starts out the game one for 14. In game six, he had back-to-back quarters where he had 19 straight missed field goals in the first quarter. And then Tatum comes alive and hits four threes in the fourth quarter and they go to game seven and then they blow out the Sixers in game seven. And a lot of people gave Boston credit for having the resilience, which is fair, but that series felt like a lot of Philadelphia crumbling and unraveling. Their MVP player going five of 18 in a game seven or not getting the ball in the crunch time of game six was an indictment on the team. James Harden, Stealing a game, absolutely torching Al Horford and the Celtics defense in game one and even game four did not show itself for the rest of the series at that level. So for the Sixers to lose, it was more so a black mark on the Sixers as an organization as their players did not play with that intensity. They did not look prepared and they were absolutely stumped. Al Horford's defense was actually looking very good against Joel Embiid, the MVP of the league, who had nothing but many performances that were not MVP-like in that series. So they win, right? Boston wins, and now they match up with the Heat. And I said coming in for me, what the Heat did to not only beat the Bucs, but then go and beat the Knicks while Jimmy Butler is sustaining these injuries to his ankle, and Jalen Brunson is killing everybody, like playing really, really good basketball, it speaks volumes to the Heat as a team because that was more of a BAM series while Butler was a tad bit hobbled. Butler still made some great plays on the ball, don't get me wrong, but Butler was not himself. And you can see that. And BAM was also injured to start their run as well. 
So I had a lot of questions about how is their roster gonna be able to stay consistent if both of their key players are injured and in pain and like are clearly not the same versions of themselves, especially Bam early to start the playoffs was not a great offensive player in a lot of spots. He was hesitant to go up. He wasn't confident and he was hampered. And in game one, all that goes out the window. Bam out of bios, aggressive from jump and is just putting it to Boston every single possession. He sees Al Horford jab step layup, jab step free throws, really pushing the pace off of each rebound. Jimmy Butler exerting his will on the game. 30 something points, I'm, I'm pretty sure, just making every shot, six steals in the first game. Spectacular performance. They steal a game again at Boston. A really good team, again, probably has the best roster left in the playoffs. And yet, yet, their home court advantage has been terrible the entire playoffs, and they lose game one. And all the Boston fans say, well, they've been doing this all season. It's not surprising. We have to see exactly how these guys bounce back. And then in game two, guess what the Heat do again? They take the Boston punch. Derek White is hitting a whole lot of threes. Tatum is having another good overall shooting game. And the Heat claw back in that game. Bam Adebayo again. He went two for nine in the first half. But if you watch the game, he was so amazing. The rebounding effort from Bam was insane in this game. The passing was so great. And then Jimmy Butler, when he got poked by Grant Williams took the game over, scored the last six to eight points. And the funny part is I never felt comfortable about that game for Boston because in the first half, Jimmy sat down towards the end of the first quarter and Boston in the second quarter goes on like a, a 21 to two run just to give up a 17 to two run to the Heat. And then the Heat go into halftime with a four point lead. Boston finds ways to extend leads, extend advantages, but they're not able to crack it beyond 10 in the fourth. And then Butler and the Heat just come back, execute, even kill, not nervous about anything, and they win. And Jalen Brown, a player who a lot of people felt coming into the playoffs was like a top 15-ish player this season or whatever. A lot of people said that Jalen Brown deserved the super max money and that they should extend Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to super max extensions where Jalen Brown will be making $57 million annually on like a $267 million contract and Jason Tatum will be making like a $300 million extension himself where he would probably be making in the ballpark of $60 million. Basically, that's the caliber of player Jalen Brown was was casted as and how he played during spots of the regular season. But in these first two games, Jalen Brown looks terrible. He's averaging four assists and four turnovers. 15% from three, 38% from the field. Like it, it's been absolutely abysmal. And he's being outplayed right now by Caleb Martin. Undrafted guy played for Charlotte. And he goes from Charlotte to the Heat and he's just playing excellent basketball and he's outplaying them he's working hard he's passing the ball rebounding making timely shots the heat are all just making quality looks creating quality shots for each other and they're just outworking the celtics in these first two games and it's on the road the heat have not played a home game yet and they're still not favored to win the series so i say all this to say when people talk about these teams 
and they look at the rosters and the talent and what they have done before, people were not evaluating the execution from these teams. In my opinion, a lot of these teams were not really like completely distant from, from everybody else, no matter how good they were, because the flaws were always there. Boston always had problems in the regular season with staying consistent. I saw it multiple times in a lot of their games. They were not great at that. And now this 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 trend continues in the playoffs. Now, I'm not going to say the series is over because the series is not over until it's over. I refuse to fully say that the Celtics are a much better road team. I do believe they're going to at least respond to win. But it's very hard for me to see a scenario where the Heat lose both Heat games back to back considering how they execute it. And if Boston isn't blowing them out and it's a close game, you favor the Heat. You really would favor the Heat in that situation despite the talent gap. The execution gap has been there for these two games. So that's what I have to say on that series. I still think that that probably goes six games, but it's really leaning the Heat side. And we're going to see how much resiliency and willpower this Boston team really has on the road on Sunday so those are my takes on that series I'm going to officially transition to the swiper cam debut podcast that we did talking about game three for the Denver Nuggets and the Lakers uh I appreciate you guys for tapping into the podcast all types of things like that I'm working very hard to get these things out uh peace out people What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode. It's your boy, Swiper. And we got my man's gifted back in action, back, ready to talk about what happened with the Denver Nugget versus the Los Angeles Lakers in Game 2. And also, do a nice little preview for Game 3 as well. I'm not going to lie, gifted. So, you know, you weren't here last night. But yesterday, after the game, you know, you had a space you were doing. And, you know, ne I never go on spaces before I record never because you know I want to get the content out I want to make sure that I got everything I need and all this other stuff uh but bro last night I was so like in awe of what happened with Jamal that I literally I got in your space like I was freaking out and then we came and did the show bro and I couldn't even get to the basketball part because I was just I was stuck on uh, what I just saw bro so it was crazy gifted man like how, like, what are even your thoughts after, like, watching yesterday's game? Like, just your overall general thoughts on the game. Yeah, man, last night was crazy, bro. Um, every game I watched with a lot of people in our Discord every night. And I was watching this game, like, man, it was such a roller coaster. Because early foul trouble for KCP, uh, MPJ throughout the game. A lot of, like, bad calls from the refs on both ends. And in that fourth quarter, like it felt like LA controlled the pace of the game for most of it. But then that fourth quarter, Jamal Murray woke up and gave us one of the best playoff performances that I've seen. I mean, he he went into that fourth quarter three, uh, three of uh, 15 and finished the game 11 for 24, six or seven shooting in the fourth quarter. I know that off the top of my head because I literally just did a video on it, but it was outstanding to watch, right? But it was really good hoops. Really good hoops. Yeah, I mean, bro, you know, so I, I live tweet during Nuggets games, and I and like I'll delete a lot of them afterwards because like I literally just put my thoughts on the timeline, and then like 
it's stuff that it's just me talking that I'll just get rid of it. But basketball stuff, I'll keep up there or something. And bro, like at one point in the third quarter, I was like so agitated with Jamal. Cause bro, you remember there was that he started the third quarter off. The Nuggets were only down five, and Jamal got lost on the screen versus uh, uh, Austin Reeves, and then Reeves hit a wide open three pointer. He got lost on a cutback and then gave up a two-pointer. And I'm just like, bro, what is he doing, bro? And then, you know, he was just lollygagging. And then on top of that, you know, his hands on his knees. He's, like, bent over tired and all this other stuff. I'm like, bro, Jamal, it's the Western Conference Finals, bro. Like, can you please not do this right now? But, again, like, I know, you know, he's battling ear infection and all that. I get it. But Bruce Brown was coming in the game, and he was cooking. And at one point in the third quarter, I was like, man, Jamal, if you ain't ready to get. (laughs) Hey, bro, Jokic, Porter was playing well. Bruce Brown started playing well. Hey, roll with those guys right now if you got to. Jamal, catch your breath. Do what you need to do. But, bro, man, that man came back into the the game in the fourth quarter, bro. Put that little left-hander up over LeBron. 23 points. 23 points in the fourth quarter, bro. And how, well, let me let me ask you this. So the Lakers have been throwing multiple coverages at Le- Jamal throughout the series so far. They've been going over the top a lot. They've been going underneath some. They ran drop versus Jamal when he's in the, like when he's in the mid-range area. They have tried to run him off of the pick and roll altogether by like staying attached to his body, just getting him away from Joker and making him reset. Like, do you feel like the Lakers were deploying, like, a good defensive system versus Jamal? Like, or did he exploit, like, a weakness? Like, what were your thoughts on even how he was able to get going? I feel like the fourth quarter was just a testament to just shot making that we all know Jamal Murray has inside of him. I feel like for the first three quarters, Vanda was actually doing a pretty solid job on Jamal. Mm -hmm. I felt like some of his shots he rushed, but he still showed excellent footwork on his turnaround layups um in the paint and things of that nature but in the fourth quarter leaving Jokic in the game i think allowed jamal to naturally find his flow and the biggest part is after Jokic hit the bench jamal just got a chance to fully cook and once he was hot i mean he was making shots to where he was here and he mm-hmm. purposely stepped back for three and he right. was just in that flow in that mode so to me the defensive coverage is when it comes down to that level of shot making and balance Jamal had, didn't really matter because he was in that type of zone in the fourth quarter. Yeah. yeah, it was crazy, bro. So, you know, the Lakers started off the game. So, game one, you know, just, just or game two, rather, walking through the first quarter. The Lakers started off the game, man, and they clearly had an intention that they wanted to, to attack and get to the rim, and they were being – so here's the difference. I, I, they were being physical, but they were being Lakers physical. Like, Lakers physical, like – they were getting, they were aiming at a lot of the ticky tack stuff, and the Nuggets were falling for it. So they were reaching too much. The Nuggets were getting too many hands in play, all kind of stuff. And then even the game, the game started, man. When the when the Nuggets won the jump ball, and then KCP gets the ball taken, and Bando gets a wide open transition dunk, and I'm like, oh, bro, they already started off the game. The Lakers are already turning the heat up. They're trying to put a make a message known, like, look, bro, we're, you beat us. In the rebounding battle like crazy, and in the effort game, in the game one, not going to happen. But this game around, bro, the way they were they were coming out so physical. Now, oh, yeah. now Anthony Davis, not really offensively, but even defensively, he was playing really well. 
But, bro, I think Michael Porter Jr. got 2,000 in the first quarter. I think uh, it was uh, Michael Porter Jr. KCP got 2,000 in the first quarter. Mm -hmm. And then it was Christian Brown got 2,000 in the first quarter. And I'm just sitting here like, bro, ain't no way y'all finna tell me y'all finna. Are y'all trying to flex a game in Denver in game two? But, again, everything kind of settled down after that. It was tied. But, bro, like, the, the Lakers defense was stifling. Yeah, like they they weren't letting the Nuggets get anything easy, and the Nuggets couldn't hit any of their tough shots early on. Yeah, we talked about this in our last one for Game One. Like, this is the type of game that if you are the Lakers, you have to win because you were able to kind of you know imprint your will on the pace a lot more. The ticky tack fouls were getting out of hand, bro. Like one play in, in the third quarter, Jamal got called for a foul. I'm sitting there in disco, right? We're playing it back. He literally did not foul, barely bumped. They called on him. Like, that was the game from quarters one through three. But the fortitude from Denver to not get too rattled and to just fight was good because the transition defense from the Lakers was absolutely atrocious. And you guys were able to get out in transition all night long. So you guys were able to fight yourself back into that game. But my goodness, there were so many, like, non-calls not consistent calls on both ends. It was a terribly officiated game for sure. Yeah, and I think you mentioned this fast break thing. Gifted is funny because I hear a lot of national pundits like, you know, ESPN, Fox Sports, but a lot of Lakers fans that are irate that Jokic is continuing to beat Anthony Davis up and down the court. And because people are saying, like, you know, on television, Anthony Davis is more athletic, He's more physically imposing. He's a better athlete than Joker is. But, bro, it's like people just don't. That's what I mean. I don't. I just generally think people don't watch the Nuggets. Because there's no way that you can watch Jokic and say that he hasn't been one of the best transition bigs in the NBA the last three years. I mean, he knows that's the easiest way to get an easy shot. Because every time the Lakers shoot, Anthony Davis is trying to crash the boards to, again, win the rebounding battle. But if he misses the board, because he only had one offensive rebound, I believe, yesterday, literally as soon as Jokic, as soon as Murray, Porter, AG, Bruce Brown, as soon as they touch the ball, they are sprinting down the court. Automatically, it, yep. It's those points that are crippling the Lakers. The Lakers had a really good half-court defense yesterday. But so did the Nuggets, by the way. The Lakers had a really good half-court defense, but it's their transition that's killing them. And I, I don't know what the Lakers can do to fix that because – the Nuggets have been doing that the entire year. So that's not like sometimes when people say like, now again, maybe Anthony Davis. So do the, do the Lakers to stop that? Or are they just going to have to concede like, hey, shoot the ball. And as soon as the ball goes up, just run back on defense. Do they try to, what would you do if you were Coach Ham? When you're getting killed in transition, that's clearly affected you in the first two games. Would you still want them to crash? Or would you just say, but as soon as you shoot the shot, just get back on defense and call it a, and call it a day and then try to live another possession. It's such a tough spot to be in because game in, game out, Jokic is putting up 14-plus boards a game. Um, I'm pretty sure he's in the 90th percentile in terms of defensive boards secured on the glass. And Denver just has length all over the place to try to crash on the glass. I think if you're the Lakers, it's really just the complaining. Because there were so many plays where they wouldn't get the rebound, they would talk to the refs about the foul, this or that. And then the next thing you know, Jokic is just throwing a steamer down the court. Bruce Brown is going all the way through. 
the poison, the execution of the Lakers in terms of what's happening after a shot goes up has to, at the very least, right. be consistent. You cannot let the calls and everything get to your head and you're not playing in the flow of the offense because Denver didn't care. They get the board, right. they'd go. They were not pouting during the game. The body language from the Lakers was absolutely atrocious. And I feel like that gave up so many easy baskets for you guys in transition. I even have like the advanced uh, stats here too, right? You guys were plus mm -hmm. 5.9 points per possession in transition. You can't win yep. like that. Right. Yeah, plus 5.9. The Lakers were plus 2.7. Uh, but again, to, to so uh, let me ask you this. So I'm looking at the half-court numbers. Yeah. The the Denver Nuggets, they had a 91.6 half-court offensive rating, which is obviously very bad for the Nuggets. The Lakers, though, had a 92.9 half-court offensive rating versus the Nuggets. So when you hear this and, and when you watch the game yesterday – what do you attribute most of the Lakers' half-court struggles to? Is that just their offensive personnel? Or do you feel like the Nuggets are doing something specifically to put them in a bind? So there's there's a couple things. A, um, they settled a lot from the perimeter. And obviously, as we know, Anthony Davis did not have it going. LeBron took seven threes, 0 for 7 for the game. And outside of the first uh, half of the game, LeBron was not driving trying to score at the basket so right. when you're not consistently just trying to, to get to the paint and play to your game and you're taking all of these jump shots obviously you're not going to have a strong conversion rate but the number one thing swiper is while that's true about the half court the lakers had to play a set defense 81.7 percent of their plays like th that that is not a winning formula for lakers they need to find ways to go against the defense that is not set, I, I would say. Wow, yeah. So, can you, and for people that might not be as aware of why that's important, can you explain why playing versus a set defense is so important and why it matters so much? Yeah. Well, A, if you have a player who is a, as good defensively as Anthony Davis, if the Lakers have a set defense, they're able to key in on your half court actions a bit better. If it's not set, it's more so players have to like naturally know where to go and play off of instinct which opens it up to score a lot more baskets if you if you are the lakers and you have so much shoddy guys who aren't great at perimeter shots and might not really give you much the lion's share of your points need to be against a defense that is not set and it would favor you more especially if you are a team that is predicated on scoring a lot of points in the paint getting downhill and getting to the free throw line a set defense makes it harder to achieve that. Right. So, I guess this is uh, as good a time as any, bro. But can we have a conversation about uh, Anthony Davis, please? Can we do it, please? I've been waiting on this. Can we do that? Yes. So you I go mean, ahead and open up. Can you can you explain? Can you can, what what is happening with Anthony Davis? How do you view his impact on the game on both sides of the ball in the first in the first two games? Okay, so I think Anthony Davis, before I get to his flaws, Anthony Davis's defense has been sensational every game in the playoffs. I think almost every game, no matter what has happened, he has been pretty, pretty good at that. The difference with Denver, though, is his defense is going to have to be more of a team perspective because when he's been on Jokic, Jokic has still been able to get exactly what he wants. But the issue is... They need Anthony Davis to be the best Anthony Davis on both ends of the floor. In game one, he had 
40 something points a, a bunch of free throws in game two denver made it naturally harder on him he had many plays where he was trying to post up Jokic, and that five foot hook shot or floater was not falling and he was taking a lot of perimeter shots more than game one um he's not going to be able to be consistent on both offense and defense throughout the entire series the defense i trust but they need anthony davis to also be their best player and consistently contribute offensively at a high high level and we all know that you know anthony davis is not a creator like Jokic. he's more of a play finisher type mm -hmm. of big so if he's not converting at that it puts them in such perilous situations yeah man you know uh you know, I love, uh, for instance, uh, Jason Temp. I love Jason Temp. I think he's a great analyst. Uh, I've had him on the show twice. Um, you know, I follow one of my favorite followers on Twitter. You know, he he had a theory, you know, before the series started that he thinks Anthony Davis is the best player in the world. Now, some of that's a personal thing because he thinks that, you know, if you win the championship, you're a two-way player. Anthony Davis has had tremendous two-way value throughout this playoffs. I mean, you can arguably say he was the best player in the Memphis series and, you know, best player, at least the most impactful player in the Warriors series. I'm not sure how you feel about best. I think, obviously, Steph was under a different kind of circumstances than AD was. And maybe if Clay Thompson or Jordan Poole could hit a shot, Steph wouldn't have been in the bind the entire series. That's another discussion. Um, I mean, I mean, I, I, to this day, I still think about that series and the last three box scores of Clay Thompson. Um, so okay. I think the thing... <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing about Anthony Davis, bro, is like, I just, I don't get his motor. I guess that if that's the first thing, I don't understand what motivates him because the 40 and 10 game, I, it didn't even, it didn't even feel like impactful. Like he was making yeah. jump shots, but it didn't feel like this is a transcendent player. It just feels like he's uber talented. He has this great physical profile. But he is not supposed to be the best player on a championship team in a traditional sense. And it feels like because you just don't know when, where, and how he is going to be able to elevate you. And again, if you're not a playmaker gifted, again, you heard me say this multiple times. I don't think you can be the best player in the world and not be a top-level playmaker. And that's why, for me, LeBron is still has the best chance for them. Uh, of being that role and, and being the best player night in and night out just because of the fact that he's still creating opportunities for other people. And defensively, he was really good. LeBron was really good defensively for most of the game yesterday. But, yeah, man, it, it just feels like AD, man, like, uh, you know, he's really good as a help shot defender. But the Nuggets were 14 to 20 in the paint yesterday, Gifted. 14 to 20, 70%. So if that's, if that's the best part of their defense, it's not letting you get in the paint and score, then, then what's going on? I feel like yesterday they pulled Anthony Davis out of the paint a lot more. I just feel like the issue with him was more so they weren't able to get great contributions from other guys. And if Anthony Davis, again, is going to shoot the ball as poorly as he did, it's not good. And his motor, right? Like, I feel like sometimes you know what Anthony Davis is going to bring you offensively in the first quarter. Like, he had a pretty solid first quarter last game. It didn't feel like 40 points, but I wasn't surprised by it because he was getting what he wanted. Yesterday's game, it didn't seem as if he was that tapped in aggressively. He settled for some shots, and he didn't make his hook shot. And mm -hmm. again, I respect what LeBron James does, but I do think LeBron at this uh, age of his career, and especially all playoffs long, he has not been a great 
perimeter shooter, and he's not consistently getting to the basket as much. Now, obviously, he came into this with his foot not being all the way there. We know that, but consistently, AD is looked at to be their leading scorer and their best defender. And if AD falters in that regard, it puts more pressure on LeBron to have to do LeBron things, which he might not be equipped to do for a full seven-game series. Yeah. Well, with that, bro, let's transition to to game three because Jokic didn't get a mention, by the way, in the first 20 minutes. You know, I didn't even talk about it a lot yesterday. Yeah. He had 23, <laughs> he had tw- he had 23 17, and 12, and uh, just dominant. Like, but it's just such a – his seventh triple-double to play off, his fourth straight – at least four to eight 20 point triple double, which is the best in NBA history. Gifted, I think that might be Joker's worst game of this series. It I was, legit, I, it was. But I think that might be that might be it though. I think that's the thing. I think if the Lakers were going to win a game, that might be the worst game you're going to get for him the entire series. And he was still very good, he just missed some of his shots. So, game three, gifted, what do you expect from the Lakers? From the Nuggets, and do you think that the Lakers are going to be able to put their best punch forward, and do you think the Nuggets are going to be able to withstand that? How do you even see the flow of that game going? Well, coming into the series, I had Denver in these two games. I did not think that they would lose both games at home. I think this series is a testament to both teams being great uh, at-home teams. I feel like Denver on the road hasn't been as consistent as they are at home. And I do believe that for Denver to win game three, their role players are going to have to step up big. But I'm looking at Jamal Murray as well because his worst games, even in the last playoff series, happened on the road compared to at home. And I think you're going to see better Jokic games on the road because his team is going to need him to be aggressive a lot more. I feel like uh, Gordon looked a little lost out there in game two. Game three could be a worse version of that. But I think for L.A. down 0-2, your back is against the wall. And your duty in the playoffs, if you're a home game, is to win your home games. You don't get praise for that. You're supposed to do that. Road teams are coming in to steal it. Denver handle business. Now the question is, can the Lakers dial into their desperation and knock down perimeter shots and handle their business in game three? I believe they can because they're a better home team than they are on the road. Yeah, so I think when I'm evaluating this, I'm listening to Coach Michael Malone. I'm listening to Jokic. I'm listening to Jamal. He had Murray. a legendary rant, by the way. I I loved Coach Malone's rant. That was a one outstanding. Do you think he has a point? Absolutely, absolutely, bro. Literally in the space we did after the game. Oh, the Lakers really blew this game. They should have. But Denver outright. You know, took bro. Jamal had had twenty three points, seven free throws, six of seven shooting, and they survived the nine Jokic minutes in the fourth quarter. So I'm not even mad at him for doing it. But I feel like as a coach, it's so genius to rally your team against these narratives because that's the inside drive that puts a chip on your shoulder right. going into a game three, going into a game four. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie to you, bro. Um... I think the Nuggets, and I said this uh, yesterday. I think the Nuggets are going to come out absolutely like with a with their hair on fire to try to win Game Three because I, I know they know they know the history, they know the stats, and I think the Lakers are going to show throw their best punch. But here's the problem, gifted. I don't know if the Lakers have the offensive ceiling 
to put the Nuggets away like that. Because when Devin Booker did it, Devin Booker had 47 points and 20 and 25 shooting, and they right. went off. KD had a good good game. I think he had a, I think 29 like or 39. No, he had. I think he, he had 30 points on 12 or 31. I'm pretty sure in game game four. I think I, I'm not sure about no no sorry game three game game four. He shot I believe uh, he had 31 points on 19 shots, 11 of 19 shooting. I think I'm a nerd, okay. so I, yeah, I think so. that's correct. Yeah, and then the next game, in game four, he had 36. That one, he had 31. The game, I think it was game two, he had 39, 9, and 8. I think that was his his, uh, his uh, money line. Okay. But I think the thing is, in, in game three, he had 71. Booker had 47. They had, or sorry, 31, 47. So they were absolutely dynamite. I don't know if the Lakers can do that. So my, my point is, and, and, and the Nuggets lost by seven. In that game. And they had a phenomenal shooting performance. So I think for me, bro, it's like... the Jokic is going to travel. That's the thing. Jokic will travel. If Jokic He's going to travel, yes. <laughs> that, that's the funny thing, right? Like, if he travels and he's punching you in the face... Because, again, in game three last series, he had 30, 17, and 17. If you get one of those games in L.A. from Joker... Yeah, man. So again, I think the Lakers can win. I think the Lakers will win one of the three and four. I just don't. I think the Nuggets want to set a message. Okay, I'm gonna be real with you. The Nuggets do not. They don't like the Lakers. They've never liked the Lakers. The Nuggets have never liked the Lakers because they've had this history from Alex English and Kareem and Magic to Kobe and uh, Carmelo Anthony, and then the 2020 their history. They don't have a positive relationship with the LA Lakers. Now the players, you know, they're fine, but I think Malone is so hyper aware of this. Now, again, we'll see if they can muster up the energy to do it. But I think it's going to take a really good game from their stars. But I think also, I think Bruce Brown has to play well. I think Jeff Green needs to hit one or two shots. I think KCP needs to have a good game, which he can. I think Michael Porter Jr. needs to have a good shooting game. But again, that's the same thing with the Lakers. Like, who? I guess for you, who on the Lakers in that in that game, in game three, will you trust to deliver? Because I think it's going to be LeBron. I know Austin Reeves and Anthony Davis is probably likely due to have a good game as well. So I think those three players, but outside of that, is there anybody else that you would lean into? I guess Rui. I think that's kind of where we're at here. Uh, this Lakers team made it to the playoffs off of their defensive identity and hoping that one of Reeves, D'Lo, or Dennis can give you a pretty good guard game. Hachimura was absolutely sensational in game two. But I also feel like a lot of it was Denver was just giving up easy closeouts, easy cuts. Right. Does that intensity ease up at home? We're not sure. Um, I do think that this is going to have to be a reliant Anthony Davis performance. He he normally can, can bounce back after a bad game and put up good scoring numbers. But the team as a whole is going to have to muck the game up and make it as tough as game two was. But the stars have to perform. Bron and Anthony Davis... In order to win, their ceiling as a team is they both have to have a pretty solid offensive game if the role players aren't performing. I trust Austin Reeves, but everyone else is really mid. So, mm. we don't know. Right. Yeah, I mean, the defense is going to be hellacious, at least for a while. The Nuggets are probably going to have sure. to do something to break through that ceiling, which they can. I think I think Joker's going to be shot, more shot aggressive. Um, I didn't love, like, some of his prospects. It's, it's weird to say I, I didn't love some of his process. That wasn't it. But okay. his shot 
like when he he had a couple like of shots where he would like go up to shoot and then he had this little like pause and then he would shoot the ball like from three or something like that and I just think like he just needs to be more decisive as the score which he's gonna have to be to put away this team uh in game three so I mean yeah we'll find out I think the Lakers I think LeBron but here's the thing gifted LeBron has played 42 minutes and 43 minutes in the last last two games yeah one day off yeah one day off and he turned his ankle and he's already got a bum foot Anthony Davis played 40 minutes again as well and had to he's been getting beat up LeBron guarded Jokic Rui guarded Jokic and AD guarded Jokic and the main two players have all played over 40 minutes man do you think that physically they're going to be able to carry it into game three or or do you feel like that's going to be like that's like the that's like the last dash like that game three they're going to put everything into the game three and then maybe game four or game five they're going to kind of fall apart I think the minutes thing has been a thing, but at this point, you're literally at the final stage before the finals. It is what it is. Players have to go out there and play as hard as they can. LeBron is not going to have the same burst to me. I think he's going to play a more conservative game up until the fourth quarter. But that's why I put so much with Anthony Davis to be able to bridge that load because he's younger and he's not as, you know, hurt as Bron is, you know, in my opinion. The hard yeah. part about it, though, is like playing those heavy minutes against a Nuggets team that just constantly is in actions, moving, the mental fatigue. Like, it's funny, and I'm going to sound like a hater, but as a Warriors fan myself, going from a tough seven-game series against Sacramento and then having to play uh, uh, L.A., the attrition wore on as the series wore on. Right. I think for the Lakers, it's going to be more of the same. But for game three specifically, if you go down 3-0, this series is over. So I think their biggest punch is going to be in game three. And whatever they have left, they will try to recoup and come back in game four, in my opinion. What do you th- why do you think the Lakers were able to beat the Warriors so so handily? Well, when Klay Thompson starts off every game going one for seven, uh, Poole is unplayable, uh, horrific defense all the way through. And they're basically running pick and roll for the entire game. And they're absolutely negative in the non-step minutes. The role player contributions were just were not as great. And Golden State also uh, did not take care of home court. Denver here has taken care of home court. So now the pressure is solely on the Lakers. And if anything, I think Denver is playing with house money, which is even more dangerous. So I really want to see how this game three shapes out. But this Laker team is built on their defense. And I do believe that that is going to be their primary focus mode of operation for game three. So for you, how do you feel like the series is going to go the rest of the way? So my initial prediction was Nuggets in six or seven. I thought that this would be a longer type of series. And initially I predicted that uh, both home teams would win there for like a more traditional playoff series. And then game five is really where all the marbles are at. And I think Denver is just not going to lose a, a home game of that magnitude in game five based off their talent because as the series progresses they're gonna get tired and tired and more tired and i think denver just has too many punches and too many things that they can do their margin of error has more room to operate with than the lakers but i still believe la is gonna take both of these home games oh boy man yeah um i pick nuggets and six Mm-hmm. But I see a very clear pathway to Nuggets winning this in five. It's but very it's not, clear, by the way. Yeah. But it's not 
uh, disrespect to LeBron or Anthony Davis, bro. It's just, man, like, if the Nuggets win one of these games in L.A., which I think they will, then coming back to Denver with your with Denver with the crowd, the momentum, for the first time, think about this. I want you to think about this. If they're up 3-1, they come back to Denver, the first NBA Finals appearance is on the line, Jokic is back at home, Murray, Porter, AG, back at home, and yep. everything, it was right in front of them to end, not only to beat LeBron and Anthony Davis, but to beat the Lakers And go to the five, Finals off that, too. Yep, yep. In five games. Oh, yeah. my gosh, bro. They might do what they did to Phoenix in game six, bro. But, yeah, man, we'll have to see. And that's why the Lakers have to handle business because, again, I I want to say this right here. If Denver steals one game on the road, the series is done, and I think game five will be the barrier ground for, for this Lakers team. But I, I, I truly believe it comes down to the execution. And also, if you're the Lakers – you have, like, you have, have, have to win the nine Jokic minutes. If you're losing the nine Jokic minutes, the series is over. Right. Right. Yeah, man. I mean, we'll see. We'll find out. I mean, it's going to be really interesting. I think the Lakers are going to fight like like, like dogs uh, in game three. We'll have to hear everybody respond. Hey, Gifted Man, can you let the people know where they can find you, where they can get all your information, all your stuff, all your content, please? Absolutely. I, I spent the whole day uh, basically – reworking these things so i am a content creator uh, my name is gifted uh my youtube is, is gifted hoops i have a podcast also on gifted hoops it's on spotify apple podcast everywhere else and on twitter I, i'm gifted x hoops i just made a video breaking down game two of denver on my youtube channel so go give that some support but i'm grinding everywhere gifted hoops you should be able to find it man y'all hey shout out to y'all swipe gang shout out to y'all on gifted side Shout out to y'all on the Mile High Sports side. Man, the Nuggets, they are moving. They are grooving. They look really good right now. We'll see if they can hold up. If they can keep up this energy, keep up this momentum, y'all. Hey, hit that button. Hit the like button. Tell people why you getting, where you like getting your favorite NBA content. Let the people know. Hey, y'all, y'all know what time it is. Saturday, ABC. Hey, we'll see y'all tomorrow. See y'all soon, y'all. We out. Stay blessed, everybody.